Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. 12 Days of Funk, Miss. We are back celebrating 1 million downloads of the Functional Nutrition Podcast by re-releasing our most downloaded episodes as a way to say, hey, welcome new listeners. Here's the best of the best. And I'm so excited that this episode made it to the top downloads because I packed a lot in. This was one of those episodes where I I just went for it. I gave it my all. It's a phenomenal resource, not just for the lay person, but also for practitioners. And that's really important to me, especially as somebody who trains and mentors other practitioners. This is a good resource for everyone. And, um, I'm just really stoked about a million downloads, to be honest with you. This is the podcast that almost didn't happen because I had convinced myself that I shouldn't, you know, like, who am I to start a podcast? Uh, But it's truly been a labor of love. It is more work and dedication and commitment than I had ever anticipated. And also, it's such a source of joy and getting to connect with people. And it just brings me so much happiness that um, this content serves so many people and helps so many people. And that's why I just kind of want to let the good times roll. So we're doing giveaways um, as a way to incentivize you guys to share this because everybody needs a little bit of gut love. Everybody needs a little bit more nutrition help, right? So let's, let's share with our family, our friends, our social media homies, all of it. Pop over to Instagram, The Functional Nutritionist, where we are doing a giveaway with BioCult, which is one of my favorite probiotics. Uh, They're boosted products specifically. It's four times the potency of their original formula. It's cost-effective. It's stable. It's really good for like an everyday probiotic. Um, It has those lacto and bifido strains, those friendly bacteria that are, are really quite frankly, quite low in a lot of the, um, the people that I test when I do stool testing. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those strains in this episode maybe. Um, but, uh, the probiotics also non-GMO, it's gluten-free and I'm just a big fan of BioCult. And that's honestly, it's one of the top questions that I get in in my practice is what probiotic do you recommend? Now, when I'm working with people individually, it's going to change based on what's going on with them. But just for like a, a general recommendation, BioCult is where it's at. So head to their website, BioCult.com, and use the code FUNK20 to save 20%. We can get your gut 
feeling good. And as a reminder, this is an older episode, so dates aren't current. The Carb Compatibility Project this year, 2021, starts January 4th, so you can get yourself signed up for that. Get ready to get your gut feeling even better, optimize your metabolic health, get ready for the winter. Are we in the winter? I guess we're already in the winter. Get ready for the rest of the winter. Um, And then my hormone program, Your Hormone Revival, begins in February. Last round sold out in 48 hours, so I highly encourage you to get on the list so you'll be first notified when I open enrollment. So you can head to erinholthealth.com forward slash hormones. And that's it. Without much further ado, I'm going to tell you why you got to stop self-treating your gut. Hello and happy new year. Um, I'm recording this on my new standing desk, which feels kind of jazzy. I also have my whole new microphone set up and extreme paranoia that something wonky is going to happen and this actually isn't going to record and then I'm going to cry and quit because today's my first day back at work. It's a Thursday, but it feels like the Monday of all Mondays. Um, if you're back at work today, I'm recording this. I never do this. I'm recording this right before I release it. So I'm going to hit record, record, and then hit publish. Um, so hopefully you guys will hear it on your ride back from work and it will make your Thursday feel less like a Monday. Um, I was true to my word and took like almost two solid weeks off of work. Hattie had 12 days off of school or more. Um, so that I, and we had like, my mom was in town, we traveled, we hosted Christmas, like there was a lot going on. So it felt really good to step away. Um, I mean, step away as much as I possibly could while launching two programs, but I didn't look at my emails and that was huge. So now today's like playing catch up and like two weeks away from your inbox. It's a lot of freaking emails to catch up on, but, um, you know, it felt really good. And I think it just speaks to the volume of burnout that I've been experiencing without even realizing it. Because normally after like two, maybe three days off of work, I'm like, all right, like chomping at the bit to get back. And right now I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do that thing. There's a lot to be done. I'm really dragging my feet. So, um, I also feel like, and I speaking to other people, it sounds like there's a lot more of the same that the end of 2019 kicked up a lot of stuff that, um, is no longer working for us. So things in our life that really needed our attention, things in our life that we're sort of done with kind of felt extra highlighted. Um, and that was super the case for me. I just felt like, and I think burnout will also do that for you. It just makes you really clear on the things that you're like, yeah, that's a hard no. Um, it's like anything that felt extra hard, extra challenging, any gut sense that I got that this is a no, I was like more apt to act on it these past few weeks. So, um, if you felt like a little bit of, you know, challenge, let's say over the past few weeks, know that you're not alone. And I'm hoping that January ushers in some good, fresh, clean energy because I'm ready for it. Um, what else? I think a lot of people are ready to be to move on to January as well. I this is so funny. So Carb Compatibility Project officially begins next Monday. So today is the second. It officially begins on the sixth. And I've been running online nutrition programs for close to a decade now. And 
historically, everybody waits to the last possible second to sign up for anything. Even when I'm like, you have to sign up early. Even when I really try to like, it does, it's no skin off my back when people sign up, but I just try to make it as easy as possible for everybody so they're not walking into the program late and feeling like they're running behind and frazzled and all that kind of stuff. Like get your ducks in a row first. I always tell people that knowing full well that the majority of signups are going to come at the very end. And I'm totally that person that like, I don't like commitment. It stresses me out. So I'm always the person to decide last minute. So I'm not knocking you if, if you run your show that way, because I do too. But this time, this time I have 41 people signed up and it's still four days away. And not only that, everybody's in the Facebook group and they're already posting questions like the program has actually started, which is hysterical because it just speaks to how much people are like, let's get this show on the road. The holidays are over let's get back to the rest of our life. Um, and I'm definitely feeling that. So anyway, there's still plenty of time to sign up. If you're listening to this in real time, it's going to be an amazing group. And I say that because there's already so much interaction and questions and engagement. And I feel like the more engagement there is in a group, the more people learn because it just helps to steer the conversation and, um, the videos that I do and the information that I give. So Jump in on that. If you're thinking about doing it, definitely do it. You won't regret it. Um, I also need to let you guys know that for those of you who are on the wait list for February's Your Hormone Revival, tomorrow, this is a big deal, tomorrow there's an email going out to the wait list only and it's for early bird registration and you're going to get a $300 discount. So if you've been on the wait list, if you've been interested in the program, definitely check out the email tomorrow. Save yourself $300. That will expire on Monday. So it's just, you have to make a quick decision. I'm doing it on a Friday so you can have the weekend to think about it, but also understand that um, this is there's only a few um, limited spots and it's going to be at first come first serve. So I don't know how fast it will go. I don't know if it will sell out. It did last time. It it sold out in five days. Um, so just a heads up there, there's almost 300 people on the waiting list and I can't even accept 10% of that number. So if you're thinking about doing it, save yourself some money that that discount will apply to anyone that pays in full right up front. If that's not um, available to you, there will be a payment plan. You just cannot utilize the, um, the discount. Okay. All that information is on my website, erinholthealth.com forward slash hormones. You can learn about the project, read about the program, all the costs associated, all that good stuff. Um, it's, it's, I did the one change that I made is that, um, I included the cost of the Dutch test. So if you remember last time labs were separate, I included the cost of the Dutch test because virtually everybody ordered it. And it's really such an imperative part of the whole process that, um, now it's just included. So it's one rate. If you want to add on the thyroid labs, that is extra. And that's simply because I can't order thyroid labs for anybody that lives in New York, New Jersey, or Rhode Island. So obviously I didn't want to charge people for a lab that they weren't getting. So that is an add-on fee. Okay. What else? I know I said I was going to talk about my 2020 offerings. I'm not going to do that quite yet. 
give it a couple of weeks. I'll do some teasers, but I am, I've created a ton more offerings in different things for people based on need. And I'll talk about that more in detail. I haven't opened it, opened it up to the public yet. Um, everybody that did my hormone program last round is going to get purse dibs on everything. So, um, we gotta, I gotta take a beat on that. Um, uh, but I promise to, to talk more about what's in store for 2020. Um, okay. So let's get into today's topic, which is why you need to stop self-treating your gut. I've been teasing this episode a lot on social media over the past, I don't know, month or so. And because of that, I've gotten a lot of DMs asking about specific protocols their doctor put them on. So like, for example, if I talk about oregano oil, that's just a random example. Um, somebody will be like, well, my doctor put me on oregano oil for X, Y, Z. Is that okay? Here's the deal. It is completely irresponsible of me to give out any medical advice or speak out against what your practitioner is doing because your doctor and whoever you're working with, they know your health history. They know your background. They know what other medications you're on. They know what other supplements you're on. I don't have any of that context. For all intents and purposes, you're basically an internet stranger. Like I cannot give out medical advice to you and I certainly can't weigh in on any protocols that your current practitioner put you on. So just know that. And also I totally get how frustrating it is. It's especially if like I dangle a carrot talking about a negative side effect of something that you might be taking. Of course you want to get more information, but what I always do is redirect those questions back to your practitioner, redirect those concerns back to the person that you're working with and have a conversation with them around it. And that's always going to be my response on social media, by the way. It's, I, I do not, and I will not answer health, medical, or even nutrition questions through DMs. It's just simply not responsible of me to do so. Um, and one other thing that I wanted to say before we dive in, some of the things that I'll be talking about today and warning against and making you think critically about, um, I will use them myself in my practice. So sticking with the oregano oil example, there's a lot of downsides to oregano oil. Having said that, I choose to use it for specific things in my practice with specific people in different formulations. Um, so this information that I'm giving, it's not all black and white. It's not all good and bad. I'm really doing this episode to give you a heads up, give you some things to think about, and it really applies to those folks out there who are self-treating their gut with quote-unquote natural products and thinking that just because these products are natural, they can do no harm. I think there is a big misconception in the world of natural medicine, plant medicine, herbal medicine, and especially with the um, the popularity of essential oils that thinking like, well, these have been used for thousands of years. Sure. But have they been used in the context that you're using them? Right? Maybe, maybe not. So we just simply cannot say, well, just because something is all natural. So just because something is from the earth, it cannot harm me. That is not true. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit around that today as well. Um, and it's also for the people out there who are letting their Facebook friend, Linda treat their gut, right? 
Linda's total arbitrary name. By the way, I'm not talking about anybody specific. Cool your jets. Sorry to the Lindas out there was the first name that came to mind. But just because Linda just started selling essential oils or some other weird diet products through an MLM and is now calling herself a health and wellness coach, despite the fact that she has exactly zero qualifications to do so, right? And this is happening a lot. It's happening a lot because people tell me about it all the time. You know, I know it's it's going on out there. Um, people have reached out to me specifically to tell me that um, they've been approached by an essential oils representative saying that they have the cure for IBS. That's a bold statement. Um, oils for liver detox. And then a big one that I'm seeing a lot is oils to help to heal and balance hormones. <sighs> so <laughs> I did, for those of you guys who have, who are on my newsletter list, I did send out a newsletter a few months ago and I talked about really specific products and broke them down ingredient by ingredient and by ingredient. So I'm not going to get into more of the same today. I just don't have the time to do that. We're going to talk more about generalizations. Um, but just as a reminder, if you're not on my newsletter list, get on my newsletter list because you never know when a 12 page rant is going to come at you. And usually when I'm ranting, it's pretty well researched with resources to back it up. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about antibiotics because for the most part, we know that antibiotics are something that should not be abused. We maybe didn't know that 20 years ago, sorry kids of the 80s and 90s who are pumped full of antibiotics, myself being one of them. Uh, but now we know, oops, we're running into an overuse situation and there's a lot of negative side effects from it. Antibiotics can cause severe damage to the gut ecosystem. Now, for those of you guys who are in my carb compatibility project, who got my online gut health workshop for free, hopefully you're starting to really understand this concept and why it's so bad. Uh, antibiotics can decimate keystone players in the gut, things like bifido, fecal bacteria, and other butyrate producing bacteria. We're going to talk about why that's a big deal a little in a little bit, um, but I'll refer you back to episode 78, how to eat for true gut health. If you haven't listened to that, you definitely want to listen to that because a lot of the concepts that I talk about today, I really went into great detail on that show. Uh, we talked about what the gut microbiome does, what it is, what it does, the different roles it has, why it's so important to overall health and why diversity, having all these different species and making sure you have these big keystone players living there is so important um, just from an overall health perspective. And you know, part of the problem we're all running into with antibiotic overuse we're decimating our microbiome. We're, we're killing off that diversity and therefore killing off ourselves in a way. And I know that sounds a little bit dire, but it's the truth. I mean, it's, it's one of the main reasons for chronic illness. Um, but we're running into the same exact problem with herbal antimicrobial overuse. And that is part of the point of this show. Now, antimicrobial herbs are basically like herbal antibiotics. So they have um, antibacterial properties, but they're herbs, right? They're natural. They're from the earth. They're not made in a factory. Um, so why are we running into this issue? And I think a big problem is the fact that people are self-treating 
with these very potent and harsh oils, or they're going off the recommendations of a consultant with no health training or no clinical experience, somebody who doesn't understand the complexity of the microbiome. But they are potent and they are powerful and they do run the risk of doing damage. So we have to regard them with caution, right? We're not just mainlining these things just because they're all natural. Herbs have a very similar capacity to negatively alter the ecosystem that prescription antibiotics do. Um, They can reduce the levels of beneficial bacteria. Those bacteria, if they get down to such a low level, some of them can go extinct, um, meaning we cannot grow them back, meaning once they're gone, they're gone for good. And the more um, antibiotics that are used, the more the less diverse our microbiome becomes, right? Um, so with each course of prescription antibiotics that you use, diversity is further reduced. Um, now some species can actually rebound post antibiotics, but you can lose peripheral species with each course. So some some bacterial species are just a bit more hardy, and, and they'll they'll bounce back. Some once they're gone, they're gone for good, right? The worst offender, when it comes to antibiotics, the worst offender seems to be an antibiotic cocktail. So that's taking three or four different types of antibiotics in a short period of time to kill off an infection. Um, This seems to lead to the biggest decrease in diversity and the biggest loss of species. Um, Bifidobacteria seems to be the most sensitive to herbal disruption. So, so I don't want to, I want to back up a step here. Um, uh, I don't want to come across as telling people not to use antibiotics or saying um, I'm anti-conventional medicine. Not the case. Um, You know, I was on antibiotics a couple of years ago. What was it for? There was some type of infection. And, you know, I was like so grateful to have antibiotics to use. Um, Even full well knowing what they were doing to my gut, you have to outweigh, you know, you have to do a pros and cons list. And I truly believe in informed consent. I need the information before I consent to a drug. So this is like, part of this is just giving me information. So I don't, I'm, I am hoping sometimes I say things and people hear something different. And I've been accused of being an anti-vaxxer. Not really sure why my kid is fully vaccinated. Um, I've been accused of being anti-conventional medicine. Again, I use conventional medicine, so that theory doesn't really hold up. Um, so I don't want anyone to to take any of this as medical advice. I'm not telling you to not use antibiotics. I'm just saying, here's the problem that we're running into. It's well-researched. It's well-known. It's why your doctor isn't so uh, quick to prescribe antibiotics anymore. And then I'm also saying that herbs... Some herbs are really, really potent, and some people use them in place of antibiotics, thinking that they're safer. The question becomes, are they really safer, or are they doing the same thing that prescription antibiotics are doing, okay? So what I was saying that bifido species do tend to take a big hit when it comes to herbal antibiotics, um, and... Bifido is one of the keystone players. So there's certain big guys like Acromantia, Bifido, uh, Fecalbacter, Clostridium that that we have in our guts. And if if those take a hit, it, it 
it makes a big problem. Um, bifido also produces butyrate. We'll talk about why that's important in a little while. So basically, if these bacteria, any of these bacteria are thrown off, it can lead to problems with the function of the microbiome. And as I talked about in episode 78, the functions are a lot, many, many, many different functions. So we don't want to mess up the function of the microbiome. Um, and it can also alter phytochemical metabolism. So remember, we also talked about this. We rely on microbes. We rely on good bacteria in our gut for herbs to be therapeutic. 90 to 95% of polyphenols aren't absorbed by our human bodies. They have to make it all the way down to the colon where bacteria essentially activate them. They turn them on. So things like curcumin and pomegranate, they have to go all the way down to the microbiome and get turned on by the good bacteria so we can reap the health benefits from them. And if we don't have enough beneficial bacteria, we're not getting the benefits of those herbs. And this might be why some people are less sensitive to herbal medicine nowadays. It's just because of this rampant dysbiosis due to the overuse of antibiotics um, or the overuse of anti herbal antimicrobials. Um, so this can diminish the efficacy of other medicinal herbs, okay? That's a big, big important thing. Um, antibiotics and herbal antibiotics can also harm gut integrity. Um, so it can increase intestinal permeability or leaky gut. This is not great because it can lead to a number of different problems, but it's one of the explanations for increased food reactions, right? So many people are getting more and more and more sensitive to different foods or different constituents, constituents in food. Um, and it really can be due to the overuse of herbal antimicrobials because it's like, you know, I see super healthy people eating a squeaky clean diet with all of these gut issues. You know, like, what's going on here? And you're like, well, I've been taking oregano oil since June 22. You know, I'm like, well, that's a problem. So um, again, just to reiterate, just because something is natural does not mean it can't harm you. So the first place we'll start is grapefruit seed extract. It's also known as citrus seed extract. I did an Instagram post about this a couple months ago. I got a lot of feedback and a lot of questions, so I wanted to make sure I took ample time on the podcast to go into why I said the things that I said. Um, one Instagram um, reader, follower, what do you say? It sounds so weird to call somebody a follower. I don't like that. Um, one Instagram pal said to me, it's been used in France for a very, very long time as an alternative medicine. You can find it everywhere in the herbal homeopathic pharmacies. So this makes me very curious. Basically, she was like, what's up with that? Why are you saying that? Um, and, you know, in the U.S., you can buy it in any health food store here, too. Um, I think one of the issues is that people are... Um, self-diagnosing themselves with candida or other gut infections based on a Google search or based on like what they read in blogs. And dude, I mean, I'm not knocking you if you're, you, you, you did that. I, I spent like 10 years doing that. So 
I feel you. And I myself have been on grapefruit seed extract. I was put on it by a practitioner. So if you're, you're in the situation where you've been on it, been on it in the past, or you're on it right now, um, just use this as information and then take it back to your practitioner. If you're not working with a practitioner, definitely discontinue it. Um, but just have this conversation for you guys. I also added some PubMed, I think three or four links that, um, just to, to back up what I'm saying. So if you are prescribed it by a practitioner, I would bring these links and just kind of talk through stuff and you might end up like, that's what you're doing. So I just want you to have the information, but yeah, you can walk into any health food store and grab the stuff right off the shelf. It is not hard to find and it's very cheap and inexpensive. Um, I did have quite a few people also DMing me, telling me that their practitioners put them on this stuff and they were freaking out. So again, have a conversation with your practitioner around all of this, but grapefruit seed extract should be viewed as extremely potent, broad acting antimicrobial that has the capacity to decimate the microbiota. It is like an atom bomb for your gut. It's going to kill things for sure. It's going to kill the bad. It's also going to kill the good. And interestingly, it seems to be more beneficial against the beneficial bacteria than against the pathogens, meaning it tends to kill off more of the good guys than the bad guys. Clindamycin is an antibiotic that has the greatest detrimental impact on the human microbiota. Clindamycin is weaker than grapefruit seed extract. Clindamycin is more selective, meaning it kills off less of the good guys. Um, so that's a big, bold statement. Um, after 18 months to two years after using grapefruit seed extract, so up to two years after using this stuff, the ecosystem still has not recovered. And then there's no tradition of use. So there's a lot of herbs like Coptis, for example, or Golden Seal, which we've been using for thousands of years. Grapefruit seed extract is, is not the case with this. So it doesn't have a history of use. And, you know, we do have to look to that to say like, is it safe though? You know, um, it's, so it's novel, meaning it's like, you know, it's, it has newer use and it's an apparently natural substance, right? And that's why people use it because, it, oh, it's a natural antimicrobial, antifungal, antiviral, kills all the things. But it is actually not a natural product at all. The citrus seeds themselves don't have antimicrobial activity. It's only when they're spiked with an unnatural preservative. So compounds like, um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this benzothone. <laughs> I'll write it in the show notes. Okay. Deal. Um, triclosan and methyl paraben. So basically like benzos and other things, triclosan, hello. Um, it's good at killing things, but it's only good at killing things because it contains quote unquote hospital grade disinfectants. And that is from Jason Halra. Uh, Overlack. Holy smokes. Can you tell I've been on vacation for two weeks? Yeah. Um, so it's concluded that the potent and antimicrobial, antimicrobial activity is really more attributed 
to um, the synthetic preservative agents that are used. It's not so much the natural substance found in grapefruit seed, but it's the other stuff added to it. So it's a natural product with, um, with synthetic stuff. Um, and that seems to have like the killing effect. So it's like you probably wouldn't go and mainline triclosan for gut health, but that's kind of what you're doing when you're taking grapefruit seed extract. Um, and then there's one study that I have that I'll link to. It's the research says that grapefruit seed extract was as good as killing pathogens. It was good at killing pathogens, but it also showed that it was good at killing human cells in any dilution more concentrated than one to two fifty six parts. So like, that's not great. The dilution thing is another, um, is another problem. Like if you're taking it at a, at a bigger concentration, it can really have some negative side effects. So point is don't take it. Um, yeah, don't take it. That's kind of my, my, uh, cliff notes on that one. Okay. Next up, we're going to talk about oregano oil, which I think is, I think a little bit more commonplace than grapefruit seed extract. We're seeing more and more and more and more of it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with oregano oil per se. It certainly has utility. And like I said, I use it in different formulations in my practice, but again, we're running into an overuse situation. Um, it's very commonly used. You can pick it up at whole foods. It's in like a lot of different cold and flu formulas, um, gut formulations. I had a client, it's just, it's, it's pretty often prescribed too. So I had a client come to me who was on it for almost a year and a half on uh, oregano oil. And she was taking it because uh, of a, a suspicion of yeast overgrowth. And she had never been tested for yeast, but had a lot of symptoms of yeast overgrowth. So anyway, she comes to me, um, she had recently stopped taking the oregano oil. We did a gut test. Candida showed up on her stool test. So we know that the oregano oil wasn't really doing anything. So she was basically just taking this really potent, powerful stuff for a fungal overgrowth, overgrowth, but it wasn't addressing the fungal overgrowth. Um, so that's a problem. And she was kind of like self-treating with a little bit too. She had worked with practitioners, but stayed on it um, for the fungal overgrowth. And then my mom, I don't know if she'll remember this, but a few years ago she went to, she was going to this chiropractor. He did muscle testing. He was like a super nice, cool guy. I went down to him one time when I was in Florida visiting my mom. Um, But he did muscle testing and he's like, yep, you definitely have SIBO. Here's a bottle of oregano oil. My mom was like pounding oregano oil. And I was like, Oh my, we actually got in an argument about it because I was so freaked out. I was like, no, 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 no. You're like throwing a bomb down in your gut and you have no proof that you actually have SIBO. Like get yourself tested, figure out if you have it before you start self-treating with such potent stuff. Um, This chiropractor also told me that he did muscle testing (laughs) and he told me that I had too many trans fats in me. And I was like, hmm. Oh, doctor, you don't know me at all. Like any other thing he told me I would have bought into, I would have been like, yeah, sure, that's plausible. But trans fats, I was like, it was when I was super sick. I was like, I haven't eaten in a restaurant in three years. There's no way I have trans fats in my body. Thank you. Next. Um, Be careful with muscle testing. I'm not going to say anything bad about it because I do think that there's some utility, but just 
before you hit your gut with something that could do a lot of damage, I say get like real clinical data. I've had, I've heard horror stories of people um, going to a practitioner, getting muscle testing, being told they had something that they didn't actually have, or being told that they didn't have something that they did have. So I'm always an advocate for testing if you suspect like a real um, pathogenic overgrowth. Get that data before you start just like willy-nilly treating yourself with it. And P.S. I will talk about at the end of the show um, different ways to collect this data through testing. Um, so oregano oil is a powerful and potent antimicrobial. And again, that's basically just like an herbal antibiotic. Each time you use oregano oil, it raises drug resistance. So that means that each time you consume it, it lowers the efficacy of it the next time you use it. It will be less effective the next time you use it. And the more you use it, the more resistance you might develop. That's not great. Um, again, if you're, you know, if you're using it for a reason to address something that you found on a clinic, clinical evidence of, that's one thing, but just to like willy nilly take this stuff, not cool. Um, if you do have critters and pathogens in your gut that are resistant to treatment, that means that you have no way of killing them off. This is why drug resistance is a very, very bad thing. We want to avoid it. Um, another downside to oregano oil is that it kills off lacto and bifido strains, like the good bacteria. So it does kill off the bad guys. It's really effective for that, but it can also, um, the good guys in your microbiome can also take a hit. And remember, we talked about this on episode 78, you can't just replace them. You can't just replace the good guys that you wipe out by taking a probiotic pill, even though many companies marketing would have you believe that that's the case, but it's not the way your microbiome works. For the most part, probiotics cannot actually colonize the gut. Their effect is while they're in transit, while they're moving through your body. They do have the ability to modulate the immune system and influence gene expression. So they, again, they have utility. I'm not saying probiotics are bad or uh, don't do us a, a good service, but it's just they don't work the way that most people think about them. And we really should not be so cavalier with the use of of these oils. So only take antimicrobials under the care of an experienced practitioner. You run the risk of making your situation worse. So to be very clear, very, very clear, essential oils reps or wellness advocates, um, they're not trained practitioners. They may be great people looking to help others, but they have no qualifications to be recommending potent antimicrobials and telling you that it's good for your gut. Unless you know what you're working with, so let's say you have the diagnostic criteria for physical evidence, um, and it's part of a short-term therapeutic strategy put together by a skilled and experienced practitioner with appropriate credentials, do not take oregano oil internally. Don't do it. Um, and you certainly don't want to take it under the guidance of oily Sharon on Facebook. <laughs> Another apology to all the Sharons out there. I had to use a name. And I, I'm really sorry if this is offensive to essential oils reps, but it needs to be said. This is some 2020 energy coming in hot. Telling people you can fix their guts or their livers or their hormones by taking essential oils internally is irresponsible. Stop doing it. Know your role. This is not okay. Buying a starter kit is not a substitute for medical school or a nutrition degree. 
I know that people are interested in health and nutrition. Like I get that. I know you just want to help people. I know it all comes from a really good place, but you can't help people by taking shortcuts. It's really just irresponsible. Um, I'm going to go off on a little tangent right now, but I get, you know, I know I have a lot of people listening to the show who are either practitioners or want to be in the future or simply just super interested and passionate about health. And I think that's awesome. Honestly, I think we actually really need more people who care about this stuff and who are willing to learn about it and teach and help other people. But there is a current influx of people who just want to skip the steps. For example, you can't become a nutritionist in six months. It would be great if you could, but you can't. Or even 12 months for that matter. You simply can not do it. Uh, there's just simply no way to pack in all the requisite food science, anatomy and physiology, biochemistry, microbiology, nutrition therapy, motivational interviewing into an online six or 12 month program. It's a good starting point. I think it's great. Um, but it's not, it's not all the information that you need, but by a long shot, um, Health coaching and online nutrition certification courses like Institute for Integrative Nutrition, for example, I think they're great for those who are looking to dip their toe into the real food world or learn how to feed their families better, but they're not enough to build a nutrition practice. And I know that this sounds like I'm talking smack. I'm speaking from experience. I did. I did. It, uh, IIN. I did. I, um, it was one of the many trainings and certifications that I've done. So I, I am saying this because I know it to be true. There's no way I could have built what I built just on that program alone. There's just no way. And I'm trying to be super honest with you guys. Cause again, I know there's a lot of people who are listening and looking to get into this field and they just, they just don't want to do all the requisite steps. You've got to do all the requisite steps. If you're, I feel like it's like Spider-Man with great um, power comes great responsibility. It's like, if you want to step into the field of health, it's a tremendous amount of responsibility. Having somebody's health, um, depend on what you say is a big deal. So you gotta, you gotta do the requisite steps. Um, and I, I feel so strongly about this just because I see so much yucky stuff going on around me. It's just, and I, and I see people getting sick from it. And I see people getting harmed from it. And I, I just don't think that's, that is cool. And this is especially true if you're trying to talk about gut health and balancing hormones and high level stuff like that. Teaching people how to read labels to choose ingredients, it, you know, like, yeah, go to health coaching school for that. But telling people you can heal their gut, no, no. Like you, you can't do that just because you sell essential oils. Um... And one more thing that I'll say, and this is just more of like a consumer beware, there is no regulation on the term nutritionist. So literally anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. I've seen people go through precision nutrition's training. That's just like an online thing, something anyone can just buy off the internet for a thousand bucks and call themselves a nutritionist. Um, I've seen people selling MLMs calling themselves a nutritionist. Anyone can do it. And I'm not saying that it's bad or it's wrong. It's just, again, you know, consumer beware, buyer beware, as always know where you're getting your health information from. That's part of your responsibility. Okay. Tangent over. Um, 
back to, and and you know, I always post these disclaimers, like if it doesn't apply, let it fly. If you sell essential oils and you're doing none of these things, I'm not talking to you. This isn't for you. This isn't about you. Like just, just move on. Um, this is just more, um, I would say, you know, consumer education, just be, be aware of it. Okay. Next up, we're going to talk about the five R protocol. If you're a practitioner or you've been around the block with functional medicine, or you've done a lot of internet digging on health, gut health, or you read a lot of blogs, you've definitely heard of the five R protocol. It's covered in virtually every blog ever written about gut health ever. Um, and it's discussed in basically all of the functional nutrition and functional medicine trainings. Um, and it was actually originally the four R protocol, but I guess because of some like copyright issues, it had to be be, um, changed to five R. So they just like stuck an extra R in. Uh, anyway, I think it's a good starting point. And especially if you're treating yourself at home, right? If you're self-treating based on information you read, I do think it's a good starting point. It, it does need some tweaks. There's a few issues that I have with it. So I'll talk through what the five R's are and where I think they could improve, um, and where I think they kind of get it wrong. Um, and I think it was like AIP, autoimmune, uh, paleo protocol, the five R protocol. It was great when we didn't have more tools at our disposal. Now we have a lot of functional, uh, testing and labs available to us to like really get good data that hasn't always been available. So we needed things like elimination diets. We needed things like the five R protocol as somewhere to start, um, the question that I ask myself before running any functional labs or any type of high level testing is, is it going to change the clinical intervention? Because these labs aren't inexpensive. So if I'm going to have somebody cough up like $300 or $400 for a lab, I want to make sure that I'm going to do something with that data. Um, it doesn't make any sense to do the same intervention that I was, you know, that I could do without a lab. And that's the way that I look at the five R protocol. If people are running labs on you, there's less of a need for a protocol. And I, I kind of feel like maybe this is one of those areas where people are skipping steps because the functional lab testing is so popular right now. It's so jazzy. People want to do it. They want to offer it. Um, and so they'll just run the test for the sake of saying, Hey, I run these tests, but don't, might not know what to do with the clinical data that the tests reveal. Um, and I would say that my issue with any type of protocol, 5R protocol being an example, is that people can lean on the protocol without using critical thinking. So protocol is basically like a series of steps of if this, then do this, do this, do this, do this. Um, and I think that the the thing that makes a really good practitioner is the ability to think critically. I've probably said it on the show a hundred million times before. Um, I, I've worked with so many practitioners and I really feel like this is what separates the men from the boys, so to speak, is not just following a series of steps, but understanding mechanisms and systems within the body and scratching their head and thinking and coming up with an individualized plan for a specific person based on their context, based on their labs. This is arguably um, 
not arguably it is. It is why the work that I do with one-on-one clients takes so much time. It's because of this think critically thing. Um, I do not, I am not a protocol person. I do not do the same thing with one person that I do with somebody else. I just don't. If you've worked with me in the past, you know that to be true. All right. So let's go to the, um, the five R protocol. So step one is remove. The first R stands for remove. And this is basically where you remove the problems. Obviously we got to do this. Um, so this might be using antimicrobials, antifungals, antivirals to kill off any overgrowth, any pathogenic bacteria, fungus, parasites, viruses. Um, it can also, uh, that was like a weird dramatic pause. <laughs> And just like totally lost my train of thought. Um, it can also refer to removing processed foods and removing food sensitivity. So maybe you're eating foods that you're sensitive to that you didn't know and it's causing inflammation in the gut, um, removing gluten, removing certain medications, um, PPI comes to mind, a proton pump inhibitor. So let's say you have low stomach acid and it's causing some major downstream effects in your gut. If you're taking a medication that blocks stomach acid, obviously that's the thing that needs to be removed. Um, and again, this is not medical advice for anybody who is taking a PPI. Uh, in fact, I never take any of my clients off PPIs. I always send them back to their prescribing practitioner and let them work with them about weaning off the medication. Um, so again, not medical advice, just an example that I'm throwing out there. So you have to kind of look at what is the root of the dysfunction that needs to be removed. The, the classic example, um, in functional medicine is like, if you step on a tack and you have a tack in your heel, you can take Advil to reduce the pain, but the problem itself and the source of the pain is never going to go away unless you remove the tack from your heel. Right? So you do need to remove um, the, the thing. And I think this ties into today's topic because some folks are doing this step, like they're throwing harsh antimicrobials at their guts without really knowing what they have. Um, maybe they've done some Google searches and it sounds like they have candida. So they hammer themselves with an antifungal or, um, I'm seeing a lot of self-diagnosis for SIBO because their, their symptoms match up with like classic SIBO symptoms. So they're on antimicrobials for SIBO, right? Um, and this might work for some people. I'm not saying, you know, it won't. Uh, but what I tend to see is that it works short term. They start to feel relief. They start to feel a little bit better. And then the issues and the symptoms come back. That's typically when I see people. Um, or if they stay on antimicrobials long term, we'll see some big gut dysbiosis when we do run a test. If we do look at a stool sample, right? Um, some of the good guys are wiped out. And if the good guys aren't there, if they're not coming out in droves and they can't keep the bad guys at bay, right? So there's more opportunity. The more you kill off the good guys, the more opportunity there is for the bad guys to the, the opportunistic bacteria, the pathogenic bacteria to thrive because those good guys aren't keeping them at bay. Um, so one remove, I think some of this, at, um, in a little bit, I'm going to talk about like safe things that you can do at home, like safe ways to, to address gut health. And I think you can totally do some of the remove part yourself, removing processed foods, doing an elimination style diet, um, taking out gluten, taking out dairy, taking out some of the big heavy hitters from a dietary, uh, 
dietary perspective. Um, but I wouldn't go in with antimicrobials unless you know what you're working with. Okay. Now step two, the second R stands for replace. If someone has maldigestion, so if they're unable to digest things well, or if they have malabsorption, they're not absorbing the food that they eat, it might be necessary to restore proper digestion by supplementing with digestive enzymes or um, other things that I'll talk about in a second. Remember that digestion is a top-down process. We can't just skip to the middle step. If there's issues at the top step, you have to address the stop, stop, top step, and you kind of have to do it in a stepwise fashion. Address it from the top and work your way down. Um, like, how's your sense of smell? How's your ability to chew and swallow? Uh, if there are problems there, those need to be addressed first. Do you chew your food? Do you eat every meal on the fly? Um, people want to do the high level interventions because they're sexy and they're glamorous, right? Um, but they don't want to do the basics, but you have to do the basics first, right? Sit down, sit your butt in a chair and chew your food before you rush off to Whole Foods or the health food store to grab all of these fancy supplements, you know? Um, you can spend a lot of time and money on the high level intervention, but you've got to start with the basics first. And I say this all the time. It's like free wellness. I mean, functional lab testing. I'm going to do an episode just talking a little bit about the cost of functional lab testing and like where and when it's a good, it's a good option for you, but you know, it costs money and I think it's really good money. I, I spend like a couple thousand dollars in labs in myself every year just to kind of take stock. Um, I think it's good money to spend, but you also have to be participating in free wellness. You can't just jump. You can't just skip right to the expensive stuff and hope that it's the solution to your problem. You know, you might save a lot of money by, by not doing that. Um, and just starting with the basics. So this is a great example of a client. Um, we did we did two tests. We ran a GI map and an organic acids test, and we found this poor girl had been suffering for like basically her whole life with digestive stuff. We she had a parasite. She had Epstein Barr virus living in her gut. She had a she had fungal overgrowth and more like tremendous dysbiosis, other pathogenic overgrowth. She had a pretty significantly jacked up gut, which is no surprise, again, because she had been dealing with these issues for well over a decade. Clinically, I saw it as a success because we got her pooping every day. She was extremely constipated. Um, and getting somebody who has chronic constipation and goes to the bathroom once or twice a week to getting them pooping every day with like the perfect score on the Bristol stool chart is a huge, huge, huge accomplishment. If you, if you struggle from, uh, chronic constipation, you know how big of a deal that is. Um, but she still had a lot of residual bloating that we just couldn't seem to move past. And after a lot of talking, after a lot of emails back and forth, her listening to the podcast, um, she started to realize that her high stress disposition and lifestyle could be impeding her progress, um, and her healing. Um, she was only sleeping six hours a night. Right. Um, and, and ultimately what she said, and it's like, it brings a tear to my eye. One of those moments where it's like, uh, the student has become the teacher <laughs> like type of vibe. She said, she's like, you can't do that for me. I have to do that for myself. I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it because that's like such a huge aha moment for somebody 
to realize that they have the power to change and also the willingness to do so. Um, but this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about participate in free wellness, do the basics first, sleep and calm yourself down, you know, reduce your life stress, sleep more easier said than done. I totally know, uh, because we did, we spent the money to do the test and we did a lot of interventions and ultimately it came down to, you know, I mean, granted we did have to address those, those parasites and those like those big things, but, um, the rest of the journey was hers. It was, it was basic lifestyle stuff. Um, and this is really the reason I encourage people to go through your hormone revival before doing a whole full tilt gut healing regime, work on the lifestyle pieces, work on the stress, work on the mindfulness, work on the adrenals, do the basics, hold yourself accountable to doing the basics. And then you can proceed to the gut. Digestion is a top down process. And we just cannot skip to the middle of the process if we want good clinical outcomes or good results. And when I say it's top down, it starts in the brain. It starts with getting you out of a stress response and into a parasympathetic state. Digestion will not work if you're in a stress response. So, um, so to come back to replace, um, if you're, this is assuming that you're doing the basics, but if you're not breaking down protein adequately. You can take hydrochloric acid. If you don't do well with high fiber, that's a good indication that you might need pancreatic enzymes. If you have a really hard time digesting fatty meals, you might need uh, pancreatic lipase. You might need to address gallbladder dysfunction. Uh, you might need to work on bile production. You might need to take ox bile as a supplement or uh, cholagog herbs to enhance bile flow. Um, and I will say that some of these things are contraindicated, which is why it can be really helpful to work with a skilled practitioner who understands this. So for example, and I'll throw out the big ones that just like are top of mind right now, you wouldn't want to take hydrochloric acid or enzymes if you have gastritic gastritis, because it can be pretty caustic to the mucosal layer. Um, Hydrochloric acid dosing is very individualized. So some people just might need one cap. Some people might need six caps. And there's a way to figure out what um, what your dosing is. You kind of build yourself up. And once you get to the point of bur burning, you step back. Um, so you go to the, the place that you didn't experience burning. But it's very individualized. So some people will try it and they'll be like, oh, that didn't work. But it was just because they weren't taking an appropriate dose for them. Um, also I, I would, would not recommend bile salts if you have hydrogen sulfide producing bacteria in your gut, because they will feed on those bile salts and make your symptoms worse. So there's, you know, there's, there's so much good out there in the world of alternative medicine, but you have to understand again, the mechanisms of how they work and how they might be contraindicated for some people. Um, generally, so for coming back to self-treating the gut, so what do I do at home to get better gut health? Um, something like digestive bitters is pretty safe for most folks. It's not caustic to the mucosa layer or the gut. It can be, if you have big hydrogen sulfide problems, it can sometimes trigger that. I don't think that's very common. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a good one that I feel is very safe, including more bitter herbs into your diet or buying digestive bitters. 
I will say that I tend to find compliance to be really low because you have to take them 20 minutes before a meal and people just forget. So digestive enzymes are ten, tend to be easier to remember because you can pop them while you're eating. The, the um, digestive bitters you want to take before a meal. So keep that in mind. And I talked a lot more about this in episode 37 um, entitled Liver Health, Bile Production, Intermittent Fasting. Um, P.S. Because I always get asked about intermittent fasting on if I've ever done a show on it. Um, here's the deal. My website has this handy dandy feature called a search bar. And if you are looking for a certain topic and whether or not I've blogged about it or recorded a podcast about it, you can go to the search bar and type in the topic and it will pull up anything that I've created for you. Um, and I say that because I get a tremendous amount of DMS with people being like, have you ever done a podcast on this? And I will always say to them, you can use the search bar on my website to figure it out. Listen, I've already spent the time writing the material, recording the material, producing the material and marketing the material. I cannot be looking up every topic known to man. I've been in business for almost 10 years. There's a lot of information out there, but the website search bar is a great tool. So use that if you don't want to send me into a frantic tizzy. (laughs) Um, all right. Step three, the third R. So this is going to be a long podcast, I guess, because we're already at an hour. It's a big topic though. Big topic. Um, step three is re-inoculate. And this step basically says take probiotics, eat fermented foods, drink fermented beverages, drink your kombucha, all is well, all is well. Um, it has been amended to include prebiotics, which again, we went into in so much detail in episode 78. So I'm not going to go into any detail here. Um, but here's the deal. You can't re-inoculate with probiotics. I kind of teased out this topic earlier. The first thing that probably comes to your mind, right, when we talk about re-inoculating the, the gut is probiotics and fermented foods. That's what people tend to think of, but they don't do what they think that we do. They don't take up permanent residents in your gut. They can improve things, but only as temporary visitors. They'll stay and help out anywhere between a week, maybe two weeks at best. But while they're trans, they're, they're traversing around your gut, they do have some health benefits. So they're good to take, right? I'm not saying do not take probiotics. What I am saying is that they don't do what you think they're doing. They're not sticking around. They're not colonizing the gut. So if you take um, a prescription antibiotic or even herbal antimicrobials uh, like oregano oil or grapefruit seed extract, and you wipe out 10 species, it's not as simple as taking a probiotic or eating some yogurt or drinking some kombucha to introduce those species back into the ecosystem, okay? And I, I would say it's, it's actually not a bad practice to do those things alongside um, antibiotics. So to take your pro, to take a good quality probiotic, I really like Saccharomyces boulardii to take with antibiotics. Um, it's a yeast, um, and then eating like plenty of fermented foods, always take them away from the probiotics, like at least an hour away from, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, away from the antibiotics, take your probiotics away from your antibiotics there. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, because here's the deal. Um, the best way I've heard it described is a parking lot. And this analogy 
really sticks out in my mind and helps me understand what's going on. So when you're killing something with antibiotics or herbal antibiotics, your think about your gut as a, a totally packed parking lot. So there's no spaces left. It's all packed. Um, when you kill things off, some spaces open up and when you're taking probiotics, they can temporarily fill in those spaces to keep the pathogenic bacteria and the fungus from growing into those spaces. Okay. So it's an important tool to utilize, but it's not reality to think that these things can reseed your gut. And of course, everybody wants to know what's a good probiotic to take. And I think I said this the last time I talked to talked about the gut. This is a really tough question to answer just because I sort of use different things clinically depending on the person and depending on what we're seeing. Um, so I don't usually just give an overall blanket recommendation. Um, you know, you can eat more plants, eat more fiber if you tolerate that. Uh, custom probiotics is a really, really good company. It's very expensive. Um, depending on what's going on in the gut, I might use that, but just for like your average, like what to go, what to pick up when you go to Whole Foods. I don't really have like a good, like do this. Um, I don't, sorry. Um, but ultimately, right. We, we have to change the way that we view the microbiome. We are a cust- the custodian of this ecosystem. We have to take care of it. We really have to consider our therapeutic approaches. We have to look at things in a new light. We have to be more careful because you cannot just fix it right back up. And what I'm hoping is that if someone who does promote the use of antimicrobials to people, I just want you guys to start thinking about it in a new light as well. And I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I want people to begin to understand something that has been very disregarded and very misunderstood. I want to, I want to help people, um, sort of reclaim this ecosystem that lives within us, that we're responsible for. And you cannot talk about gut health if you're selling products that decimate the gut sorry, you can't. And then from a consumer perspective, you can't really try to achieve gut health if you're constantly taking products that decimate your gut, you know? And hopefully by now, this is beginning to make more sense. So let's move on to number four, step four. The fourth R is repair. And this is really talking about the lining of the gut, the intestinal epithelium. The purpose of the intestinal lining is to keep things in, keep the right things in and to let the wrong things out, keep the wrong things out. Good guys in, bad guys out. It is a physical barrier system that allows, um, the flow of nutrients and other particles from the gut lumen into the bloodstream. So it can be, they can be carried away to do their job. Um, but it's also a biochemical barrier where there's an extraordinary amount of messaging that happens back and forth between the lining of the gut, uh, the host, which is us, the immune system and the microbiome. So there's a lot of chemical uh, messengers and a lot of immune cells and a lot of different things happening right there at the lining of the gut. So why it's so important and so critical to overall health, not just gut health, but overall health. Um, So the lining of the gut, it's not just this static thing. It's complex and it's ever-changing. And when that gets harmed, when the lining of the, the, the gut gets all jacked up, it's known as intestinal permeability. We call it leaky gut, right? I'm sure you've heard of leaky gut before. 
this is what we're talking about is when the intestinal lining becomes permeable, I just said it's a barrier system, right? And we don't want a barrier system to be permeable um, or it's not obviously not a very good barrier system. So intestinal permeability is not a good thing. Um, I do get a lot of questions about leaky gut and we're already over an hour on this show alone. So I think it does warrant an entire episode to cover it in full. Um, but basically what I want you to understand with this discussion is that treatment for leaky gut requires more than just glutamine and bone broth. And that's kind of what we hear. Like, like if you did a Google search, what do I do for leaky gut? Um, you would see, take the amino acid L-glutamine and uh, drink bone broth all, all day till you die. Um, that's kind of the highlight of many bloggers, many of the at-home quick fixes. And they do help. They do help. Um, the the cells in, in your uh, gut lining do feast off of glutamine. So it makes sense. And the gelatin within bone broth contains glutamine. So it makes sense. It's not an arbitrary thing. And it, and it certainly can't hurt. There's, of, of course, always some caveats there. For the most part, it's generally a safe bet. Um, and this is really when we're thinking about the, the 5R protocol. We do, we do, in functional medicine, recommend um, glutamine, gelatin, collagen, bone broth, and other um, key nutrients that are required to rebuild and fix the lining of the gut. Things like zinc, that's a big one, uh, fish oil, um, certain antioxidants. Because here's the thing, your stomach lining can, or your, um, your gut lining can regenerate itself. It's beautiful. Those cells can rebuild themselves if they have the appropriate nutrition in order to do so. So it makes sense to give the body everything that it needs to rebuild its own gut lining, right? It's not, it's not dumb. It's just not enough in every case. Um, we have to understand how things break before we can understand how to fix them. And you can't just treat leaky gut in isolation and not all leaky gut is the same. Um, because the gut lining is so complex, there's many different ways that it can break. Um, so you kind of want to have a good understanding of how it got broken um, and what might be going on. Um, I will say that hammering yourself with herbal antimicrobials is a, a surefire way to damage the lining of your gut. Um, here's why. Remember we talked about short chain fatty acids in episode 78. Short chain fatty acids, things like butyrate are absolutely critical for, um, for the lining of your gut and for intestinal permeability. If we don't have enough short chain fatty acids, our dendritic cells become overactive. And those dendritic cells are cells that sample everything. They determine an immune response to food. When they get overactive, you'll react to a lot of foods. You'll have a lot more food sensitivities. It becomes a problem. And that's one of the reasons that that's a symptom of leaky gut. If you're having increasing food reactions and you're like, I can't eat anything anymore. That's usually a good sign of leaky gut. This is one of the reasons why. Um, and in order to get those short chain fatty acids that are so important for regulating that immune response to food is through gut microbes. Um, so remember before I mentioned that oregano oil can kill bifido species. Well, bifido species is one of the ways that we produce butyrate. So if we kill off the species, 
if we're low in short chain fatty acids, this can feed into leaky gut. And hey, guess what? Glutamine and bone broth is not going to fix the problem here. So we have to, and again, nothing wrong with glutamine, nothing wrong with bone broth, but you have to understand what's the underlying dysfunction um, before you start to treat leaky gut. Um, I had a client come to me and he had been, I'm using air quotes, he had been diagnosed with leaky gut from a functional medicine doctor. And I was like, diagnosed? Where's your labs? And he's like, oh no, they didn't run any labs. I was like, well, how are you diagnosed? Oh, just based off of symptoms. She's, she said I had leaky gut. And I was like, all right. So we did some more labs. Turns out this guy, he, you know, there was some dysbiosis in the gut, but there was also like wonky cortisol. So we had to address the cortisol piece. We also had to address the, the dysbiosis going on in the gut. We couldn't just like fix and heal leaky gut, right? We had to address the drivers of the leaky gut. Um, Okay, and then step five is pretty basic, and I don't really have too much to add to that. Step five, the fifth R stands for rebalance. It's just about your lifestyle, right? It's the basic stuff, the sleep, the exercise, the stress, right? All that stuff can affect the GI tract. And if I had to make any change here, I would put this at number one. Like, make sure you're doing these things first. And if you're doing all of these things and you're still having problems, then you can do a deeper dive, Um, which brings me to my next point is, okay, if we, we've got some gut stuff going on, where do we start? If we want to do some at-home treatments, where do we start? What are safe things you can do on your own steps to take before you hire a practitioner? And the very first one is to reduce your stress. It's like that client I was telling you that had that aha moment of like, oh, I'm the one that has to reduce my life stress, not you, right? Um, I have seen a lot of people invest a lot of time, research, money into gut healing. The stress is a deal breaker. We need to be in parasympathetic relaxation mode for our digestion and our guts to work appropriately. No supplement in the world can do that for you. So numero uno, I would say work on that piece. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. It kind of sucks. It's really hard. You have to change a lot of things in your life. You might have to say no to people. All of these things are true. It's incredibly powerful and effective. Um, The next thing, and I touched on this earlier, chew your food eat in a relaxed state. Digestion begins in the brain. So we want to calm down our stress response, get us into sympathetic mode. And then we have to chew our food. And the, the, the mastication of food signals to the rest of digestive tract to get ready for food to come. So you have to chew your food and you have to eat in a relaxed state. And you think about this day and age, everyone's just flying around. Like a lot of people are eating in their cars, um, people are eating at the office in front of the TV. You know, we're, we do everything in a di- distracted state and eating is no different. Um, so that's another thing that you really can and should work on, um, before diving into the high level stuff. Diaphragmatic breathing is another one. I, most people are walking around, not really totally sure how to breathe. You can Google diaphragmatic breathing and find a YouTube video to learn how to appropriately breathe. And it massages, it gives an actual internal massage 
to the organs. Like your body is not a mistake. It is all designed a very specific way for a very specific reason. And we're supposed to appropriately breathe in order for everything else to work effectively. It's like very interconnected. Um, we also want to stay hydrated. That's going to help with digestion, but don't drink large volumes of liquid with your meals because that's going to dilute your gastric juices. So don't pound water, um, like, you know, having a few sips of something, having a few sips of wine or water or whatever with your meals, completely fine. Um, but just don't like, you know, that like dieting advice, like chug a gallon of water to, before you eat. So you fill up your stomach. It's actually very, very bad for digestion and for like everything else. (sighs) Oh, diet advice. Um, digestive bitters. We talked about those already. Gluten, gluten's a big one. Um, if you're trying to heal the gut while eating gluten or another trigger food, it's like having one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake. Um, it's, it's a deal breaker. I definitely see gluten as a deal breaker. And I, I know that giving up gluten can feel really, really hard for some people. Um, especially when they don't have confirmation that it's something that they need to do. Um, getting that data and seeing in real time, oh shoot, my immune system is responding to this food. It can help to let seal the deal for some people. And that is why I've added the wheat zoomer offering to my website. Um, it is not live quite yet. Hold your horses. Um, I promise it will be soon, but you don't even have to be a client of mine. You can just order this. Um, we'll get the lab ordered up for you and I will analyze We'll get on a call and I'll help you analyze and answer your questions about the test. Um, but it's just gives you that feedback. Like is, it looks at all the different ways, um, you could, your immune system can respond to wheat, um, not just gluten. It goes beyond wheat and gluten sensitivity. It's currently the most in-depth panel for the assessment of intestinal permeability, leaky gut. So it's not just looking at, is your body responding to wheat and gluten? It's also saying, do you have leaky gut? And if so, like what type of leaky gut do you have? It can differentiate between um, permeability or leaky gut that's actually caused by gluten or per, because gluten can cause leaky gut um, and it, it increases zonulin, which opens up tight junctions and that's leaky gut. Um but some permeability can actually be caused by bacterial overgrowth. So it will indicate if you do have leaky gut, what kind it might be. Um, and it also looks at specific antibodies to wheat peptides, including gluten and non-gluten components. So sometimes we react to gluten, but sometimes we react to non-gluten components of wheat. Um, so that's an important distinction. So it's a really comprehensive look at like how your body responds to it. And, um, the interesting thing, and I know I've said this on the show before that many people who have a gluten or wheat sensitivity don't experience digestive problems. Um, it it can be neurological issues. It can be widespread inflammation and pain. It can manifest a number of different ways. It's not always like belly or poop troubles. Um, So, um, I do, like I said, I do see it as a deal breaker. If people are still consuming gluten or if they're experiencing cross-contamination, which is another thing, even if you're on a gluten-free diet, you can still do this test to see if you're getting cross-contamination. I just did it on myself recently to see what was what. Um, I'm pretty good. I had like two markers that were a little, little 
off. Um, but for the most part, pretty good there. But again, it, it might be hard to fully heal or even impossible to fully heal from a chronic condition and a symptom if you're getting constantly exposed to this antigen that's a trigger for your body and your immune system. Okay. So that's something to consider if you're on your, um, your health journey. Um, other ways to dial in stuff yourself is just by switching to a a more whole foods diet. I don't mean just, I shouldn't have said just because it's a big adjustment and it's a, it has really profound effects. You could do my self-study nutrition program that's available on my site anytime you want it. And that really does walk you through an elimination style diet. Um, if you're good with doing things on your own and you're self-motivated, that's a great program for anybody to buy anytime. And then I also have the carb compatibility project. Again, the next one starts January 6th. And this gives you the ability to play around with carb intake, which can be so helpful for people experiencing ongoing digestive issues. So like, I, I kind of think about it like this, get rid of gluten, get rid of processed food, switch to a whole foods diet, see where you get with that. If you're still having problems, the next step is to do an elimination style diet, right? Still having problems. The next step is maybe to play around with your carbs. Are you just eating too many carbohydrates? Like that, that could be part of the issue. Um, so you can kind of take it in a stepwise approach. And these are all things you can do on your own at home without pulling out the big guns, um, to get, to get, you know, to like hire a practitioner. It's when diet and lifestyle alone aren't enough. That's when you can dive in deeper and dig in deeper with those functional lab testing. And I did have a couple of questions about specific testing for the gut. So I want to make sure that, um, I get into it here. I actually packaged everything up in something that I called my gut healing starter pack. The package offers three different tests and it, it's a, it's a huge comprehensive look at your digest, digestive tract, your small intestine and your large intestine. And so through these tests, we can assess for digestive dysfunction, microbiome disturbances, gut dysbiosis, intestinal permeability, leaky gut, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, basically all the stuff that we talked about today. Um, and that has a GI map stool test. It has a SIBO breath test, and it also has a uh, wheat zoomer, that test that I was just talking about uh, that looks at leaky gut and um, and wheat. I do want to talk for a sec about um, different testing. So those are the three that I use, that I love, that I think are really important for people. So if you get that, that starter pack, you'll get a lot of information about your gut. I also review a health history and then we go over all the stuff together and develop a protocol moving forward based on what we found in your gut. So it's a really, if you're, if you've just been struggling, you've done the diet stuff, you have, um, you know, you've worked on the lifestyle piece, you've done the basics and you're just pulling your hair out and you're like, okay, I'm just like Google searching everything. I'm, you know, reading every blog. I keep throwing stuff against a wall to see what sticks. I've spent so much money trying to investigate all this stuff on my own. Then it's usually time to like do the test. So that would be a good option for you. Again, it's not available just yet, but it will be shortly. Um, 
So I wanted to at least throw that out there. But thinking about other types of tests, I always think a stool test is really, really, really important. So a stool test is going to look at your colon. It's going to look at your microbiome. Um, the one that I talk about all the time is the GI map. That's the one that I do in my practice. Another good one is GI effects. That is from Genova. Um, another decent one is doctor's data. So they're all different. If you're going to invest in a test, um, you want to make sure that it has clinical relevance and actionable data. Okay. So like there should be something to do. There should be some type of outcome on the other side of a test. Now, for example, there's tests that are, um, like Viome and Thrive that you might've heard about. Um, Viome tends to be pretty popular because I think a lot of big names and bloggers promote it like Wellness Mama, I know promotes it, or she at least did once. Um, I believe she has ties to the company. She may receive incentives if you order a test through her, which is totally fine. And I love Wellness Mama. She absolutely should be compensated for the work that she does and for the resources that she provides. But also remember, she's not a clinician. She's a blogger. So just be mindful of where you're getting your info. Now, Viome is a, is a microbiome mapping. It looks at everything. It looks at all the species in your gut. This is not something that I use clinically just because it doesn't, in my eyes, doesn't have a whole lot of utility for the stuff that I do in my practice. Um, I use the GI map. And so a GI map or a GI effects, they look more at pathogens. Like what's the, what's the problems here? What's driving the symptoms that you might be experiencing or the disease states that you might be experiencing. And so they drive clinical intervention. Like here's the pathogen, here's how we're going to treat it. Um, tests like Viome can be helpful, but it's usually after an experienced clinician has investigated root cause, have cleared out any pathogens in the gut, um, maybe restored gut integrity and, and healed the leaky gut, maybe reduce some inflammation. Like you want to take a lot of clinical steps before you get to a biome because you could do the biome and then you're like, okay, now what? Um, results can be really, really overwhelming and that can drive up anxiety. When you get test results and you don't understand them and you don't know what to do with them and there's no actionable steps to take, it is hugely anxiety promoting. Um, and I'm speaking from experience and I'm speaking from experience from some of my, um, some, from some of my clients who have sent me these labs. And I was like, cool, what was, what did you do after these labs were done on you? And they were like, nothing. I don't understand them. Nobody ever told me, um, that creates a lot of anxiety in somebody. And this is bringing me to my next point, which I think is so gosh darn important. It's not just about getting these labs done. Um, but whoever performs the test truly needs to know one, how to analyze it, what the markers mean, and two, be able to convey that information to you, be able to answer your questions about the test. Um, this, whenever I get test results back, so I meet everybody virtually, um, through Zoom and I will share my screen on Zoom and we go through step by step. And I'm not saying this because I'm like, oh, I'm so great. It's just because it's so important for people to understand the results of their test. 
in my eyes anyway. Um, I think it just brings down the anxiety. And so a lot of questions will come up because if you just have lab results, you'll look at them and it's overwhelming. You're like, ah, what does this mean? And then like five days later, you're like, wait a second, what does this mean? I have so many questions now. So if you're doing it, you know, if we're doing it in real time, we can kind of hash out all those questions. Um, and also you want your practitioner to be able to create a protocol based off of the test results. If they're going to put you on the same protocol that they put everyone else on, what's the point of ordering the test in the first place? You know, what is it? Why? Um, that's the thing that always confuses me. It's like, why are you having people spend all this money if you're just going to lean on the same protocol that you use for every single other person? Um, I will say that these tests are not easy to interpret all the time. Um, analyzing these tests is a skill that needs to be honed and it takes time and it takes experience and it's almost like an art form. Um, I have studied with mentors to learn how to analyze these labs. Um, and one of my mentors, we would go over a GI map and she would look at it without knowing anything about the person. She would start to tell me things about their disposition, like who they are as a person just by looking at their microbiome. It was so crazy to me. Um, and that, that type of skill only comes with time, you know, looking at hundreds or even thousands of these tests. Um, and I'm just saying this because again, I know I have a lot of practitioners that listen to the show. And if you're just starting out on your journey of ordering labs and you're feeling really overwhelmed, give yourself some grace, cut yourself some slack. It's not just you. It really, really is that time consuming to, um, to learn these, these tasks. So keep going, keep learning. You got it. Um, for full transparency, it has taken me two years to learn how to analyze a GI map and I'm still learning new things, um, all the time. So that's why on another note, I don't really love looking at other stool tests. Like I can do it, but the level of skill that I bring to a GI effects test is not going to be the same as a GI map. And I think that's another important thing to note. Let's say you're working with a naturopath who runs uh, a GI effects regularly. Go with that test. Go with the test that they recommend because they're going to be more apt to help you out with it. If you give them a test, if you're like, well, I heard about this test on a podcast and they, and you tell them to order it and they don't know how to analyze it's not going to help you. Um, I, I'll, I, that's another thing. I get a lot of DMs being like, which test should I get? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not your practitioner. Number one, number two, ask your practitioner what tests they order and what tests they can help you out with. And really, if a practitioner wants you to spend 400 bucks on a test and they can't explain that test, they can't analyze it. They can't answer your questions about it. That's a problem to me. Um, I've just been doing this long enough to know how much that drives up anxiety in a person. So I don't want, you know, again, I don't want this to be a takeaway. Like I'm going to leave this episode and everyone thinks they have to go order all of these functional labs. Maybe so, maybe not, but you want to make sure you're making a smart, a smart decision. So you're not walking into, um, you know, more anxiety. Um, okay. So, the three tests I will quickly tell you about that is in my, the three tests that I really like, and I think give a very good starting place for analyzing the gut. These are, it, that's why I put them in my gut, um, healing starter package. It's the GI map, right? So that looks at your large intestine, your microbiome. It's a stool test. So it's an at home stool test. You poop in a little hot dog container and you ship off your poop. It assesses multiple pathogens, H. pylori, parasites, worms, opportunistic uh, pathogens that are associated with autoimmune, uh, molecular mimicry, 
fungal organisms, yeasts like candida, beneficial bacteria, and also digestive capacity. How well is your digestion cooking? So that test tells us a lot. Then we have the SIBO breath test. This is looking at your small intestine to see if you have any overgrowth in the small intestine. Um, this is another, um, at-home test. It's a breath test. It's non-invasive. You breathe into tubes. You do have to eat kind of a funky diet for a couple of days leading up to the test. You want to stay home because it does take three hours to do the test. Um, and this is assessing, the one that I run assesses hydrogen and methane gases. You want to see both, um, not just hydrogen. Methane dominant SIBO is a whole other animal and it requires different treatment. Um, and you do have to drink a lactulose solution prior to the test. And then finally the wheat zoomer, I already talked about that. That's looking at leaky gut and wheat sensitivity. Um, you cannot order it in New York States, New York state. So unfortunately, if you're in New York, you're out. Um, and it does require a blood draw. So you have to go to a lab, um, or hire a traveling phlebotomist in order to get that blood drawn. Um, I've done it myself. It's super easy. We hired a phlebotomist. She came out, she drew me and Hattie's blood. She was like in and out, took the blood with her. She spun it out, sent it off. It was very easy. I think the total charge was like $75. Um, if I remember, it was, it was not terribly expensive. So those I think are good tests to start with. But again, if you're doing at home treatment, what's an even better place to start is with the basics. So this was an extremely long episode. Yikes, 90 minutes. Hopefully I answered a lot of questions for you guys. Um, and I never know how to close these things out. So I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.